welcome to episode nine of Badland Girls. I'm Destiny. And I'm Rhea. And uh, gosh, it's been a while since we recorded. How was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was pretty chill. I mean, I mean, I take the pandemic seriously, so I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go anywhere either. <laughs> I had plans to go to my sister's and then at the last minute I was like, there's too many adults at this thing. I'm not going. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. She was cool. She's... Yeah, I don't blame you. What? I don't blame you for not going. Yeah, I wanted to so badly because I have a nephew that's only a few months old that I haven't seen in a while, and he's hit some milestones since the last time I saw him. And I want to see him, like, laugh and try to crawl and stuff, and I missed it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Damn, this pandemic. Yeah, no, it sucks. Uh, but my sister still cooked for me because she's the nicest human being in the world. Oh. And my grandma cooked for me. Yeah, it was nice. Like, it, my grandma not only cooked, but she, like, went out of her way to, like, pick up food, too. That gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yes, I was blown away by, by their kindness. Uh, so it was really... I know what happened. Sorry, everybody. I bumped my space bar and paused the recording. So if there's, like, a weird pause... <laughs> That's because your girl got too gesticular telling her Thanksgiving story. <laughs> like she does. <laughs> oh, do you want to go into our regulars? Uh, sure. Uh, All right. <laughs> what was the last Let's... movie you watched, Rhea? Oh, I was humming still, but okay. <laughs> I was like too busy <laughs> humming to pay humming. attention. <laughs> okay, so I have a lot. So I don't usually have a lot, but I have a lot. So... Uh, first of all, I bought the complete Resident Evil movie series like I've been talking about doing, and I watched every single one. There are six movies in that series. Aren't they fabulous? They are. Uh, so I am and always will be probably a big fan of Resident Evil. And I was back then when the first movie came out, and I saw that movie in theaters like three or four times. And man, that first movie still holds up. I love it. It's and a good one. Yeah, I only actually, I only saw up to the third movie and Teenage Rhea's memories of the first three movies was love the first one, hated the second one, love the third one. And adult Rhea's feelings about these movies is I loved every single one of them. None of them were bad. I don't know why I did not like that second one back then. Uh, these were completely fun movies. I, I love a good horror action movie and there needs to be more of them i maybe i should watch train to busan or something i i need like more horror action in my life and i know that one is kind of action-packed i've never seen that but it's on shutter i believe so really i have to yeah shutter is where it's at yeah it sounds like it i need to get on there i I know we talked about it multiple times shit (laughs) um and then the other two movies I wanted to talk about is I watched Happiest Season, which I've been referring to as the gay uh, K-Stew movie. And the gay Christmas movie. Yeah. And uh, that was really cute. I thought it was a cute movie. Uh, I'm watching ve- it tonight. I'm so hype. <laughs> oh, really? I think you'll like it. Um, it is K-Stew. I love K-Stew. And she has some beautiful suits in the movie. And uh, I, I don't know. I thought the acting was really good. I thought the all the actors did like a hundred percent in this movie, and it was just a really, like more than just like a a gay kind of like romantic comedy. It's like a really good like family 
movie and just a movie about like secrets and coming out and stuff like that. I thought it was really well done. I was riveted I, the whole time. <laughs> I am so excited. We saw the trailer or I saw the trailer a bunch on Twitter because it's always a promoted tweet. Mm. And when I told my D&D friends, most of us are queer and big, big, big Kristen Stort fans. <laughs> um, we all saw Underwater in the theater together. That's how gay my D&D group is. Dude, I just watched Underwater. That movie rules. It's so underappreciated, and I'm so glad you like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she's great. Uh, this movie has my love in it, Aubrey Plaza, and so I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, she was really good in it, too. I could have used more of her in this movie. <laughs> and it's directed by Clea Duvall, who has been, like, a fave of mine since all the <gasps> way back in uh, The Faculty in But I'm a Cheerleader. <laughs> I did not know that. You didn't? Oh! I did not know this was directed by Clea Duvall. I am so happy that she was a big crush of mine in high school. She is really cool. I've always really liked her. And I think this is her directorial debut. She's still friends with Natasha Lyonne. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. Are you serious? They hang out and shit, yeah. Um, I uh, have had a crush on both of them. There was this meme going around where people were asking things like, what's racist but doesn't, or excuse me, what isn't racist but feels racist? Or what isn't uh, lesbian but feels lesbian and it's Natasha Leone is the answer to that. <laughs> oh uh, my but goodness. Yeah, no, I did not know that. That makes me really happy. I have one more. Okay. Um, it is new mutants. Uh, the last of the 20th century Fox X-Men movies that will be produced now that uh, Marvel bought 20th century Fox. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. It is also very gay, which I wasn't expecting. And I'm kind of sad that we're not going to be able to see these characters kind of branch out into their own trilogy because I would have been really intrigued to do so. Like, this movie is where I wanted the X-Men movies to go, but they were too chicken shit to go there in terms of story and character growth. The last movie I watched technically was The Ascent, I believe, because that was the last... Uh, excuse me, uh, repertory screenings movie we watched, which was this beautiful, sad Russian film about these soldiers who uh, end up getting themselves captured by the Nazis. And one of them is a traitor. And the other one has this like Christ allegory thing happening that the censors tried to take away, but uh, you know, when censors try to take shit away, sometimes it makes it more obvious. And just uh, a heart-wrenching film. <laughs> One of the main actors. When did it come out? I'm sorry? When did it come out? In the 70s. I can't remember the exact year, but like mid-70s. It's in black and white. It's very much influenced by like the passion of Joan of Arc. Uh, but yeah, we talked about it on repertory screenings and I, I really liked it, but it was hard to talk about because the allegory is so, the, the, the text, the subtext is the text. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it was, uh, interesting. But, uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to talk about something that was near and dear to me during Thanksgiving, which is Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yay. <laughs> and I know it's near and dear to you. Yes. Uh, so 
this year they did this really cool thing where they decided to represent every single host. And that included Emily, the host of the live show of Mystery Science Theater that they do. Really? Mm-hmm. So, like, she hosted segments, Jonah hosted segments, uh, and then Joel hosted segments. And then they, they had mic episodes and episodes from each of them. And it was really cool. Um, the lineup was, I accuse my parents, Hobgoblins, Pod People, Carnival Magic, Final Justice, The Day the Earth Throws, Night of the Blood Beast, and Cry Wilderness. Man, I love Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins? I had never seen that one before. <laughs> what did you that, think? That, like, was hilarious. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of 80s cheese. Um, and, yeah, no, I was really surprised by it. Oh, man. I always remember thinking that the... Uh... The um, skits uh, leading up to Hobgoblins and in between were really funny because they were jumping on that couch, which is why they got that movie. And then, uh, yes, and then they actually get so frustrated at one point in the movie, he puts cardboard cutouts in the theater. It's so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed Turkey Day this year. It was, uh, it's not every day that I go to YouTube and watch a movie marathon. I love that. That's a good lineup, too. Yeah, they did a good job. It was, uh, some of it was voted on by fans, I think, and some of it was just selected because of, like, availability and stuff, but it, I feel like it was good. Final Justice is one of my favorites because it's the second uh, Don Baker movie they watch after Mitchell. Mitchell being the legendary episode where Joel leaves. Oh, man, that one's so bad. Yeah, it is hilarious. The song in the movie is, some for some reason, that is the thing that, like, makes me laugh the most. Thinking about Tom singing along to the, the main credit, the end credits song and making up lyrics and, oh, so good. All right, so now it's time for... Oh, oh Badland Girl, that's, my, that's jam. my jam. Destiny, what's your jam? My jam this week is uh, kind of weird, but... It, it starts with a story. Are you familiar with Jake Vogelnest? Only through you. <laughs> I might That's need a refresher. A good answer, I guess. Oh, it's okay. No, he essentially was uh, in the '90s. He had a public access show in New York called Squirt TV, and he was only 14 years old. And somehow it became this like cult, fo- like this show with a cult following, and uh, the Beastie Boys were on it. And Wu-Tang Clan did a song in his teenage bedroom. And uh, Did he film it from his teenage bedroom? Yep. Oh, wow. And he would just play music videos and fucking he would meet bands. And like he was a big smart aleck. But eventually MTV picked up the show. And it only ran for a season because he had a he ended up having a drug problem and going to rehab and quitting TV. But in the early aughts he kind of uh ended up doing uh, a bunch of those vh1 i love the 70s i love the 80s type shows and he's just kind of known for just i don't know he always has like interesting tastes and uh he just i don't know i kind of think of him as like a cool older brother type <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> but anyway he uh, started a Patreon that I just started donating to. 
uh, because I wanted to get episodes of Squirt TV because it's like the only way you could get it. And I really missed his podcast. He had this podcast on Earwolf called The Fogelnest Files, where he would play funny YouTube clips and like talk about them with guests. And he was like, well, if you want to watch old episodes of Squirt TV or if you want to hear my podcast, uh, you know, it's on my Patreon now. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. And it turns out like it's just been really fun. Like I've been discovering all these like songs and movies and like he's totally fun and cool. Uh, and one of the cool things he does is uh, he does a radio show for some time, like some off and on for his podcast. So my jam is a song that he played on his radio show and it is called Airport by the Motors. And it's never heard of it. That's okay. (laughs) It's just this like really fun kind of pop rock song. And I think it's from the 70s. But yeah, I don't know. I just long story to get to like a song nobody's heard of, but. I just, I've really been enjoying his Patreon. Are you kidding me? I love stories like that. I love stories that like lead into, uh, into where, where you found, where you found it and stuff. So my jam is, uh, Kyoto by Phoebe Bridgers. I love this song. It's so sad and good. (laughs) I like that song too. She's somebody that I, uh, just recently kind of started listening to yeah me too i like last week listening to um i don't know this is weird to say Yeah, i feel like i'm late to the game on phoebe bridgers i don't know if this is just me kind of burying myself in like dance pop which according to spotify was my number one genre or just like really loving rock and roll as much as i do and just getting older but I find myself, like, I'm not, I'm very picky with, like, some of these new uh, young women who have, like, that sad girl indie music, (laughs) Um, just because I feel like uh, they all sing about, like, sad relationships, and I'm just like, man, I don't really care about that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm over it. Like, I feel like if I was in, I mean, don't get me wrong. I really love this song, but this song is about her dad and uh, his and her kind of complicated relationship with him, which is why I think it's so unique um, and why it really like drew my attention. And I really like her album that that song is on Punisher. Um, But like, I just feel myself all of a sudden like drawn to songs like, uh, I know you don't like her, but I still really like Jenny Lewis because Jenny Lewis I feel like really her lyrics really matured as she did and like I like to refer to her Voyager album as like um like her divorcee album because it's all about how she is like a fuck up in these long-term relationships and then in her latest album which I think came out last year uh she sings a lot about like you know, growing older and like drug addiction and and her relationship with her dad and stuff. And I find that kind of stuff really fascinating. And I just, I know a lot of people really like a lot of these newer people. I'm not saying they're bad musicians, not by any means. They're all great, but like they're all in their mid twenties and they're all just singing about how like they suck at relationships. And I'm just like, I, I, maybe I'm too, am I too old for that? It it feels weird saying it. Does that make sense? (laughs) 
I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's just more of a where you are in your life thing. Okay. That that, that does sound better. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I think that's fine. I, I, I like a sad love song just because I'm just genuinely a depressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, uh, but at the same time, yeah, no, there's um, a lot of great, uh, if you like kind of unique sad girl music, Frankie Cosmos, who I believe is the daughter of Kevin Klein and Phoebe Cates. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Frankie, Frankie Cosmos is the name of her band, um, does uh, an album where a lot of the songs are about her dog. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, and they're, like, really sweet and sad songs, because I think the dog passed away. No. Uh, I can't think of the name of the album I'm thinking of. I think it's, is it called Entropy? But anyway. Uh, yeah, there's a little, I don't know, I'm still listening to Mitski. I'm like, oh, sad, sad romances, but that's okay. <laughs> like, if you're not into that, that's, I think that's interesting, and I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, I still, like, have appreciation for certain songs, but I found myself recently being drawn to, like, uh, more kind of, like, uh, conceptual kind of, like, ideas in music. Uh, I I rediscovered Bat for Lashes EP from last year, where it's basically her singing as if she's a fucking vampire living in L.A., and I'm just like, yes, this is the kind of shit... (laughs) Oh, this You should listen to Jenny Haval, because I don't know how to say her last name. Oh, I do. She is... Oh, good. Because, like, she has that whole album about vampires. I have that album. <laughs> it's great. Oh, I read her book. I read uh, Paradise Rot. Oh, I didn't know she had a book. Oh, yeah. It's uh, one of the leftist printing. Is it Verso, I think, released that book? Oh, shit, dude. I got to find this book then. Yeah, it's a kind of creepy. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just about this girl that's in a foreign country and she meets this other girl and they kind of have this weird thing going on and the girl might be super like have a supernatural there's a supernatural tinge to it that's really hard to pin down okay but i found it a very like captivating novel i love that yeah see that's the kind of like i just i noticed it when i was listening to kyoto and i do really like i said i do really love that whole album but then i just started to kind of be really introspective about where my tastes were like lyrically and I realized like I'm making like a top five of all my favorite songs and movies and shit for the end of the year and I noticed that like the songs I'm putting down on there don't really traditionally fall into some of the stuff I used to like which are these songs like filled with like this passionate longing and I'm just like they're more like fun bops or kind of like Uh, coming-of-age type songs no matter where you are in your life and shit. Well, a couple weeks ago, I um, texted Destiny (laughs) and I said, can we do a hometown murder episode? Because I did some digging into a murder I was kind of aware of and found out it went down a gigantic rabbit hole And I wanted to talk about it. And Destiny said, okay. And so now we're going to put on our My Favorite Murder hats, I guess. Which, by the way, that is still my alarm ringtone. 
when I'm not using my daily one, if I need to get up on the weekend, it's still the My Favorite Murder theme song. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to talk about hometown murders. Uh, I have a short one to start with, if you want to hear it. Sure. It's not really related to me. This is more related to my dad, but I wanted to start with a short one. So um, when my dad was living in L.A., I think before I was born, he was um, taking lessons for double bass, classical bass, from a very volatile Hollywood composer named Terry Plumery. And his relationship with Terry Plumery was odd, to put it lightly. Uh, my dad said he showed up to practice once knocked on the door, Terry Plumery opened it and said, what the fuck are you doing here? And slammed the door in his face. And then as my dad was walking away, Terry Plumery opened the door again and said, sorry, Kelly, come in. So he had problems. And um, recently, one of the first movies he composed for, Scarecrows, a really good 80s horror film, if you're ever interested in watching these creepy-ass scarecrows come to life. Um, My dad has been watching it and like, listening to the score because of course it's by his old tutor. And then he was looking up YouTube like tracks of some of the other pieces he's worked on. And as he was scrolling through the comments, he noticed one of the comments said RIP Terry Plumeri. And my dad was like, what the hell? And turns out poor uh, Terry Plumeri was murdered in 2016 in central Florida. He was killed during a daytime robbery Uh, There was a string of them happening in the city he was in, and uh, they beat him to death, I believe, and stabbed him. And they were caught a year later, and one of the killers killed himself in jail in 2017. And it was just a very startling end (laughs) to this. Like, my dad didn't even know he was dead. And not even dead, he was murdered. It was very bizarre. Yeah, that's absolutely wild. I don't... I was kind of blown away by finding it out it's not very often you look up your old bass tutor and find out he's been fucking murdered jesus christ right yeah that's a terrible way to find that out what about you what is your story that was my little like intro to our little um, ghoul segment well um my high school got rid of uh open lunches because in 1993 one of the uh, students was kidnapped and murdered when she, like, went out for lunch. Whoa. First of all, open lunches are you can leave the school to go to lunch, right? Yes. Okay. So what happened exactly? I don't know the details. Her name was Kenyatta Bush. Like, oh, it happened in 1992. And she was a 17-year-old honor student. And... um. It was essentially a kidnapping that might have, I'm pretty sure, was a hate crime. Because <gasps> the guy that did it uh, said he did it because she was black. Because he wanted to get revenge uh, over black men who date white women. What the? <sighs> yeah. And he was like, just this fucked up 23 year old he hung himself in jail before the uh oh no 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 no. he did not commit suicide the the he didn't commit suicide uh the person that like uh 
gave a statement against him in prison was uh, a police or excuse me, a incarcerated person who gave it as part of a plea agreement and he committed suicide in jail. Sorry, but the guy was convicted and uh, yeah, it was awful, like really awful. And so, yeah, my high school got rid of their open lunches because of that. So uh, we were, uh, you know, we didn't know that, <laughs> but I, or, or, or excuse me, I knew that, uh, but didn't make the connection. Like when I started going to the high school, cause I obviously wasn't in high school in 1992, but it was one of those things where I remember my aunt had a ribbon with the girl's name on it in her car. And like, when then when I ended up at the high school, it was like, oh, we don't have open lunch because a kid was killed. And I did make the connection that that was the same person that my aunt had this ribbon to for all these years. And yeah, so yeah, just a sad story. Like, the, they're all sad stories. Yeah, that is, I had no idea, uh... And it's obviously stuck in the cultural consciousness because you said you heard about it when you were in high school many years later. Well, I went to the same high school that she was at. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it stayed. It definitely stayed in the. Yeah, it, it, it kind of haunted everyone later. Yeah. Wow. That's so sad. Like. It's the middle of the day. You're just going out to get some lunch. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like it either. No. What was your other story that you took notes on that I can't wait to hear it? Okay, so my other story is about... And maybe you know about this because it was on Unsolved Mysteries and it was on America's Most Wanted as well. So this is about... The Disappearance of Jill Berman, which is actually an unsolved case. I can't believe it. I thought it was solved. <laughs> I've like, oh, learned no. so much. So this is in Bloomington, Indiana, and this happened. She disappeared on May 31st, 2000. So I didn't start. Uh, for those who don't know, um, my freshman year of college, I went to Indiana University. And then after a year there and hating it in that creepy small town, I came back and finished up my degree at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So uh, I first heard about this in, like, it was like the tail end of the year in, um, like, the end of the semester of 2003. I was at this library sale in my dorm. I didn't know we had a library in our little union area. It was more like a reading room. And I was buying books. And then all of a sudden, there was just all this commotion. And I asked one of the girls who was older than me what was going on. And she told me that uh, this girl that had been missing for years, Jill Berman, her remains had been found. And she told me that they think she she said that the... consensus was that she was killed in a hit and run and buried in the woods and they were holding a vigil for her in the union in the middle of campus and I was like wow that's crazy and then I didn't think about it for a really long time and then after this Terry Plumeri thing I decided to look it up because I was talking to my dad about this and I just found out a lot more information about this case and how kooky it is and I took notes because I wanted to make sure I shared all the details with you and so first of all 
So she had just, Jill Berman, she had just completed her freshman year and she went for a bike ride at 9 a.m. on May 31st, 2000. And she was supposed to meet her dad and her grandpa at three and she missed that meeting. And then, so they were concerned. And then at 5 p.m., her bike is discovered in a cornfield 10 miles north of Bloomington, even though she was last seen riding south. And so, of course, immediately they know something very suspicious and bad has happened. And then three days later, they find a digital radio just sitting in a, in a Bloomington church parking lot, and they think it's Jill's. And this church lady, when she discovered the radio, saw a dark pickup truck zoom out of the lot. Unfortunately, this info went nowhere. It was never confirmed if that was her radio or, and they never found out who was in that truck. So around the same time, like two weeks later, an 18-year-old girl is approached by a black pickup truck. Someone tries to pull her inside and she escapes. And then that was three miles from where the bike was found. And then in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is right below Indiana, uh, something similar happens. A girl is hit by a car, and then when she gets off her bike, he tries to pull her in, but she also escapes. And then these leads don't end up connecting to Jill Berman's case, so they, again, go nowhere. And so then another theory starts to get formed that she was just killed in a hit-and-run and buried. And that's the one that I heard. And, but there, but the problem with that is, is that her bike showed no damage to prove that she was hit on the bike. And then they guess that maybe like, oh, maybe she was like off her bike and he hit her when she was off her bike. But it's still very, like, uh, very tenuous at best. It's like it's not very uh, firm. Hmm. And then in 2002, three women came for, oh, wait, first of all, in 2001, uh, one, I believe this case is on Unsolved Mysteries television show and America's Most Wanted. And then in 2002, three women come forward and say they murdered Jill and dumped her body in a creek. And then police search the creek and they don't find anything. And then they administer a polygraph to the women and it was revealed they were lying. And I... Why would you lie? <laughs> right? I'm The only reason I can think of is because they saw the case on TV. I I don't understand why they would that do is, that. I can't wrap my mind around <laughs> Yeah, I never heard this because, of course, I was still in high school, mostly. At, in March 2002, I was still at, you know, Omaha, Nebraska High School. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, these women came forward and then they, there were no legal repercussions, though, for them uh, saying this. So then, in March 2003, this is when, I like I told you, they find the skeletal remains. They're suspected to be Jill's. And then that, that upperclassman told me that hit and run story and the vigil. And I'm just like, huh? I'm like, that's a really weird story that I just keep filed away and I bring up from time to time. And then when I looked into it past this, because of course this stuff takes time. So they discovered the shot, the cause of death was not a hit and run. She was shot with a shotgun to the back of the head. And in 2006, they arrest a longtime suspect in this case, John Myers. So John Myers is a white dude And the police think he murdered Jill in a rage after his girlfriend broke up with him the same day. Her bike was found one mile from his trailer home. And on the day of the murder, he covered up his windows and was hysterical and screaming about leaving town. He also called his aunt afraid he would be blamed for the murders. And he was afraid of roadblocks. And his shotgun, which was the same make as the one that killed Jill, went missing. And over the years, he also just kept bringing up the case. He falsely claimed he found her bike 
and he kept saying her remains would be found in the woods, and he even gave cops tips of where she might be, and she was eventually found in one of those spots. Whoa. And then in November 2004, he called his grandma, and he said he did bad things, and he would go to prison for those things, and that his dad knew all about it. So when he's finally picked up and questioned by police, he claims he wasn't afraid of the roadblocks and never talked to anyone about this case. Regardless, he is convicted of murder on October 30th, 2006. However, in the last couple years, it has come to this light that this investigation, this trial, was botched terribly. So, the defense stated that there were no eyewitnesses or physical evidence ever linked to John Myers in the crime. And allegedly, his defense attorney at the time barely put any effort into Myers' case. And the jurors, this is the nuttiest part, the jurors were allowed to drink beer and keep access to their phones and TVs during the whole trial, resulting in a quote-unquote fraternity-type atmosphere. What? Yes! (laughs) For a murder trial? Yes! Oh, 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 oh. Like, yeah. (laughs) What the heck? Yeah, that's not... I'm so upset, I can't even... There are no words. I know, I was... The the drinking of the beer! What is that? I'm shocked. Is this a regular thing that happens? I've never done jury duty. (laughs) Well, I do know that they, they don't like you to watch the news, and they ask you if you are aware of the case, and if you... Uh, if you are, they don't like you to be on the jury because they think it will influence your judgment. So the fact that they let them keep access to their phones and watch TV about the case as it was going on is a huge no-no. And the beer on top of it is just, who allowed that? Like, I don't know who allowed that. Do you know if anyone got in trouble for that? No, I, I have no idea. So after this all came to light, an appeal was made. Uh, by John Meyer's lawyers in 2015, new lawyers in 2015, but the ruling was upheld. So then in last year, October 2019, a federal court vacated Meyer's conviction, claiming his legal counsel failed him uh, terribly and that he was wrongfully convicted and he's been released. Oh. So they still don't know who did this crime. They don't know. I don't know if it's him or if it was somebody else or right. what. Right. He was acting so weird. I was like ready to accept that it was him. <laughs> yeah. But then when you hear about all the weird problems with the investigation and the trial, then it's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, because they do have like the, the call to his grandma where he says he's done bad things. Like they have that recording. It's a recording. And so. Yeah, that What is it? Go ahead. Go on. No, that's all I had to say. Oh, yeah, that is weird. Yeah. So what did he do if he didn't kill her? I don't know. It's like my theory after reading into this is that he had to have known who the killer was, but I'm not sure. Because when he was picked up, he said, I never talked to anybody about this. And they never found any physical wit- evidence or witnesses linking him to the case. Oh, that is bizarre. Yeah. So this is a case oh. that is just completely unsolved. And I know that they're making an appeal to get him back in prison, but it probably won't succeed after all the shit came out about the 
fucking frat party jury party that they had during his first trial. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was kind of looking up what happened to the guy that killed Kenyatta Bush. His name was uh, Jonathan Sheets. Mm-hmm. Or Jeremy Sheets. Sorry, God. I talked a big game about, oh, this should be respectful and have all the facts and I'm getting names wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like he ended up getting released in 2001 because of that taped evidence against him not being usable in court. Oh, wow. Yeah, when the guy that uh, was his friend ended up going to jail uh, and testifying against him, he he did say, oh, they picked her because she was black uh, to do this crime, and they weren't able to use that. Uh, so in 2001, he was just released from prison because he was arrested. The crime happened in 92. He was arrested in 96, and then he was released in 2001. That is crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot of just weird... I don't understand how the law <laughs> fails people so hard. Yeah, I I have to say, like, after reading into this case, it really just makes you look at our legal system and like, man, that's messed. <laughs> that's so broken. <laughs> and, like, I knew it was broken. Yeah, me too. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I knew you did. Yeah. But it's like when you sit and actually like study this stuff. I was going to talk about another murder, but I don't think I have it in oh, Okay. Cause it's, yeah, I just, long story short, I my aunt used to babysit for this lady who uh, ended up being strangled by her boyfriend. But uh, I think that guy's still in prison, but he was black. So I feel like. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I know. So that was the case about Jill Berman. I had no idea it was unsolved. Honestly, for decades, I thought it was just a hit and run and she was buried in a field by a guilty party that was too scared to help her. I had no idea she was shot. I had no idea the killer that they that they pinned it on did it was kind of dubious if he did it or not. It's all very strange. Yeah. Sounds like it. I don't know. Unsolved cases just, they get under my skin. They do too. I honestly went into this thinking this wasn't unsolved. And I'm like, oh shit, it's unsolved. Fuck. And then just reading about it. Is there anything scarier? I don't think so. Yeah, there's some real monsters out there. Yeah. To end on a lighter note, I will say that my dad made a spear out of a broken broom handle and a butcher knife when Richard Ramirez was on his rampage in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Ramirez is my favorite story about, or like how criminals get caught. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> essentially the town of Los Angeles chased him down. That's the funniest thing that ever probably happened in Los Angeles. <laughs> Right. Well, it happened in like a very like Latino heavy area uh, when he was caught. Yeah. And a lot of people <laughs> say that's why. Because <laughs> people were like, not in our neighborhood. Mm-mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My dad, when uh, I remember, like, I think we were at like a family gathering and one of my, I think maybe my dad's sister brought it up to tease my dad that he made this little spear. And my dad's defense always stuck in my mind where he said, he's like, he was killing someone every night. (laughs) Yeah. Like, hello. What else would you do? My, oh, 
My my uh, ex boyfriend's grandfather uh, used to keep a shotgun uh, next to his pillow at night because of Charles Starkweather. My God, you're that is nuts. But yeah. I get it. Yeah. Oh wow. Frequent murders. What else are you gonna do? That's true. <laughs> Police aren't obviously going to do anything to help you. God, that's even worse when you read it on stuff like this and it's just like, oh, no horror movie could ever be scarier than this. Than reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, might have to put like a trigger warning before this one. Oh, yes, I will. Because uh, there's a lot of murder talk. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, thank you for listening to our murder talk. Yeah. Uh, if you have anything to say, badlandgirls at gmail.com. Yeah. And then and you can find uh, this episode in show notes and other episodes because we're on the Abnormal Mapping Network at abnormalmapping.com slash badlandgirls. Yep. That's where you can find us. Uh, and also, I guess if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at FridgeBuzz now. Oh, yeah. And I'm at Dolcoven. If you would like to see my tweets, which are mostly just Animal Crossing tweets right now, I got Audie, the one of the newer villagers that was introduced in this game. I found her on a deserted island, and I nearly shit my pants. I was so excited. Wasn't she named after that old lady that was on YouTube showing off her Animal Crossing island? She is. That is so cool. Yeah, she's like a little like redhead wolf with sunglasses on top of her head. She is so cute. Aw, to come visit. Yes, please do. Most of my tweets are retweets. I don't really tweet <laughs> that much. Like, I sometimes do, but I feel like it's just a complaint about how tired I am. That's fine. <laughs> we wrote a song about, like, how tired we were. Because we're in our 30s and we're, t- we're yes. tired. I'm tired. <laughs> but um, until next time. Always, always pizza rolls. rolls.